Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So um, anyway, um, I like to start by something funny, so I found this one. You know, this morning I, I dropped my phone in the bathtub. It was sinking. My phone was sinking. Anyway, sorry. All right. Here you go. That was it. Yeah. No, all right. So the other day, you know me and my wife, every February we like to take a cheaper than a divorce getaway. We like to get away and go somewhere, just me and her, you know, rekindle the flames of romance and love and all that stuff. So the other day I took a map out. I put a map in the kitchen. I, I set it up. I said, all right, dear, here's a, here's a dart. I want you to throw it at the, the map and wherever it lands on the map is where we're going to spend. Wherever that, that dart lands, that's where we're going to do our cheaper than a divorce getaway. So in February, we'll be spending a week behind the refrigerator. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So uh, we've got a sermon series that we're starting. Uh, I missed a couple weeks. Sorry about that. I had to quarantine, all the things that go along with that. We're all fine now. We're healthy, cleared by the health department and ready to go on with life and living. So it's good to be back. Uh, really, really good to be back. I, I missed you guys. Uh, so anyway, we're, we were talking about party. I missed a couple of weeks of party. So I want to talk to you today about Jesus's first party. So if you got a Bible, you're going to want to open with me to John chapter two, to Jesus's first party that we have him in, in the uh, new Testament. And, um, you know, I, I skipped a couple. We'll grab one next week and the next week and probably the next week we'll grab some over the next couple of weeks. So you're going to want to be a part of that. The reason we're talking about party is because we live in a, a culture right now that has put the feelings and pleasant emotions of the moment above their future. And, uh, and there, there's an environment and an understanding in our culture that the ultimate of life, our culture says, is to have fun while you can, to live and to party and to have fun and to enjoy yourself and have entertainment and amusement. And, and that's the key value in our culture. And what I think has happened is, is that there is something within us that craves enjoyment and life and those kind of things. But that is put in us by God. That's, that's the reason God put it in us is so we could enjoy life, not simply drudgery our way through life. But when you sell out your future for a momentary pleasure, you are not walking in accordance with God's best for your life. So a party that Jesus was a part of, Jesus showed up at a lot of parties. He was liked by people who weren't like him. Think about that. Jesus was liked by people who weren't like him. Uh, I, I, I think of like Joanne Morales. Uh, can, can we talk about Joanne for a second? Everybody likes her. You can't help but like her. You know why? Because when you meet her, you know that she loves you. Now, she may just freak you out, but she loves you. Right? Anybody know anybody like that? Joanne Marulis, that's, that's who she is, right? That's, that's her. Jesus was the kind of person that when he showed up at a party, the party started. People liked him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to spend time with him. And why is that? Because Jesus understood 
what life really was, so he lived life to its fullest. Our culture wants you to live life that is cheapened and shallowed by pursuing pleasure rather than pursuing what God made you for, and that is fulfillment. There is a difference between pleasure and fulfillment. And the kind of party we're talking about is the kind of party that brings satisfaction and fulfillment to your soul. So, God's not opposed to having fun. As a matter of fact, the most memorable moments in Jesus' ministry happened at parties. So today, we're going to talk about a party that Jesus showed up at that was boring. Anybody ever go to a boring party? And when I was in Wilmington, uh, I was a youth pastor, and I was like 22, 21 when we started. We were newly married, and we got invited over to the house to a party of some adults, not senior adults. Now, senior adults know how to party. There's something that happens, I think, when you pass 50. I think something happens after 50 that you just all of a sudden go like, yeah, we can have some fun now because I ain't got no kids screaming, demanding my time and all my money and energy, right? Come on, anybody above 50, you can celebrate with me? Yeah. All right. Now, I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing it, but come on, if you know if you got kids always hanging on you, you're, you're, you're just really not at your best. We show up to a party and there's this group of adults and I guess they all had kids. I don't know. I was 21, 22. I didn't know what was going on. But we showed up and that was the most boring place I've ever been in my life. There's a party and they wanted to sit around and talk. They didn't even have good food. Come on, if you're going to invite me to a party, at least feed me. The food was inedible. The conversation was dull and boring, and I was there, and I'm ADHD, all right? I am strongly ADHD. If you sit me in a chair and talk, and that's all I do, no games or anything, I will be asleep in under five minutes. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about in the room? All right, we got a couple of you. All right. So anyway, I'm at this party, and I'm looking over at Robin saying, get me out of here. I'm ready. <laughs> anyway. And I'm just wondering if that's the kind of party Jesus was showing up here. It, it must have been a boring one. You know, this party started good. It was a wedding. It started good, and then it fizzled out. I, I hate it when things start good and fizzle out. All right, like I'm a guitar guy, you know. I love guitars. I grew up in the 70s, 80s. All right, I love guitars. And there's nothing better in a song than a good screaming guitar solo, right? And it starts out like, you know, and it just grabs your attention. If you didn't like that, then sorry. You're not cool. Come on. The guitar solo starts with a wow. And uh, so a couple years ago, I was listening to uh, Michael W. Smith did this album. I, yeah, in the day, I've actually listened to Michael W. Smith a little bit. And my, uh, Switchfoot did one called Nothing Is Sound. And then I was thinking about this Michael W. Smith. It was worse, all right? It started with this solo. And it started with this, like, screaming guitar note. Wow. And then, you know what happened? The guitar disappeared. It turned into... I'm like, what happened? We started so good, and then it went. All right, you guys don't. Arrow, the TV show. Anybody ever watch Arrow, the TV show? First four shows, I'm like glued. Fingernails gripping. After that, I'm like snoozing. Anybody ever start a TV show, and then all of a sudden it just goes. Movie starts good, and by the end, you're like, can somebody please claw my eyeballs out? 
Am I the only person that goes through this in life? Cupcake. I ate a cupcake one time. <laughs> cupcake. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They brought the cupcake. It's beautiful. I looked at the cupcake. I took a bite of it, but they have forgotten to put sugar in it. That is not a cupcake. I don't know what that, that is punishment. That is evil treatment. It looked good, but it just, all of these things are first date. First date, you know, you like see her and you say, hey, can I have your number? She gives you a number, you call, you meet, and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then you meet her and her personality is like, oh my. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Starts good and then it goes, Anybody ever have those experiences in life? Well, this is this party. It starts real good and it goes, because this party is a symbolism of something deeper. Hmm. So today we're going to talk about this party, and y'all know it as the wedding in Cana in Galilee where Jesus turned the water into wine. And by the way, the only time I ever hear people mention this story is when they're trying to justify drinking. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Therefore, I can get drunk. That, that's the kind of conversation I hear around. Come on. Can we just, can we take that discussion, just throw that away, and can we talk about the real text today and what the real text is saying? Could we do that? Y'all be all right with that? All right, good, good. All right. So the real point of the story is there was no wine. There was no Holy Spirit. The Bible it, it says that the, the wine of the Holy Spirit is a symbol. Wine is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there's joy. And where the Holy Spirit isn't, there is no joy. That's what's going on. Psalm 104.5 says, wine is made to gladden human hearts. So the, it's, it's talking about joy. So wine is talking about joy. There's no joy in their party. Their party is a dud. So this was a celebration of covenant. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And without joy of the Holy Spirit, this covenant had turned boring, dry, painful, and just wanted to get out of it. So we need Jesus to show up at our party today. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? And we're going to read John chapter 2. We're going to read the passage about Jesus showing up at a party and restoring some joy. Now on the third day, I know, you just read right past that. But third day is there for a reason. Because this is the third day of Jesus' ministry. So what has Jesus done up till now? He got baptized by John in the Jordan River, and he picked four disciples. That's it. No miracles, no teaching, no nothing. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hey, guys, follow me. That was it. That's it. This is the third day. Jesus is third day, and he starts his ministry, and he gets called away on a family event to a wedding. So the wedding takes priority. So here he is, third day. You need to know this. This is just, just starting, okay? Third day, a wedding took place in Canaan and Galilee. Where's Canaan and Galilee? The middle of nowhere. Anybody ever been there? You go to nowhere on a dirt road, hang a left and a half mile down the road. That's where I'm from. That's where this wedding took place. All right? Now, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Hold on. Why would Jesus' ministry all of a sudden stop on day three and him and four others go to a wedding? Hey, you're invited to a wedding, and bring four. Anybody ever put a wedding together? When do you ever tell somebody, it's all right for you to show up and bring four with you? 
Never. You know why? Because this, this was probably a member of Jesus' extended family, and Mary was there taking care of the wedding. Now, this will make a lot more sense if you'll think about it that way. Family member, any of you ever worked, anybody ever worked at a wedding that wasn't your own, like setting things up, tearing things down? Anybody ever done that? Yeah? All right. So that's what's going on here. Mary's helping serve. I looked up the other day, I was at a wedding, went to a wedding, and I looked up and I saw members of our church family there serving at this wedding. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. We got members of our church serving at somebody's wedding, not even their family. Well, I guess we are family, aren't we, huh? Isn't it about time we get to act like family again? I don't care. We're family in this place, all right? All right, so now all of that's to help you understand. I'm sorry, I cannot read the Bible straight without commenting on it because you don't think about it, and I don't think about it enough, so what I want us to do is think about what we're reading, all right? Here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Now, when the wine was gone, anybody ever, anybody ever do like a record player and just stop it with the needle? That's what just happened here. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, well, they have no more wine. <laughs> and Jesus said, woman, woman. Now, if I would have said that, I would have lost four teeth. <laughs> Jesus is a little impertinent here. Remember, he's using the word for woman is gune, and that, that's woman that's just calling her female, that's recognizing her as woman. It's not mater, it's not, it's not calling her mother, it's just saying, yo, lady, <laughs> wow, you talk to your mama like that in my household, not good, woman. Why do you involve me? We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, I don't care what he says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> Anybody got any moms like that? Come on, any moms like that in the house? Do what I say. I don't care, boy. <laughs> All right? Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood how many? Come on, say it with me. How many? Six. Six. Everybody say it with me. Six. So how, how many were there? There were how many? Six. This is going to matter. Nearby stood stick, six stone water jars. The kind used for the Jews for what? Ceremonial. Ceremonial washing. This matters. What were the jars for, everyone? Ceremonial washing. How many of them were there? Six. Six. Hmm. This matters. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot of water. Jesus said the servants filled the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He told them, now draw some water and take it out to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from. Just like he didn't know they were going to run out of wine. Anyway. <laughs> he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who would draw the water knew. So who knew what happened here? Who's the only one? The servants. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, listen to the attitude of this dude. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. By the way, that word too much to drink is the exact same word in Ephesians. Do not be drunk with wine. It's the exact same word. You have saved the what? Come on, you have saved the what? 
All right, come on. Some of you haven't participated yet. For this, I'm going to ask you to participate. Come on, can everybody do this? You have saved the best till now. The best is what Jesus offers. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. So this wasn't about wine. This wasn't about water into wine. This was a sign. It was a sign through which Jesus did what? He revealed his glory. And because of this sign, his, belie- his disciples, they did what? They believed in him. So, Father, I pray that today, next couple of moments, as I share the word, you would speak to us, our hearts would be open, and I pray that we would hear the truth you have for us in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, wait, wait, don't sit, don't sit. If you're wearing a mask, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. All right, you can hold your breath so you're not breathing, endangering anyone, or being endangered yourself. But I'm going to ask you in just a second, if you're wearing a mask, to pull your mask down for about two and a half seconds, Holding your breath, turn to somebody and smile and look them in the face. If you're not wearing a mask, I'm going to ask you to do this anyway, but I want you to make eye contact before you're seated. Make eye contact with somebody and, and smile, literally smile at them and let them see love. All right, go, go. And then you can be seated. Thank you. Hey, online. Hi. You see, I, I'm convinced we don't, we don't experience the body of Christ like we ought to right now. We're, we're not experiencing it because God did not made us, make us to be always isolated and distance. He made us to love. And thank you for being here. Thank you for joining online. I want you today to experience the love and the inclusion of a God who cares about you. All right, let's go. Let's get into this. There, there are four statements I want us to look at that are in this passage. There are four of them. We're going to walk through these statements. Each one of the statements is going to reveal something about the, the story. Um, the first one is, woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> woman, why do you involve me? So it's, to better understand this story, we need to look at the key players. And the players mentioned in this story are, uh, the first one is Jesus. Now, Jesus spent the first chapter of John calling his disciples, but now he says, my time is not yet. What does that mean? He was about to start his ministry, but he was saying his time is not yet. Well, there's a, there's a real philosophy and thing going on in this passage. And what Jesus was declaring is, I will establish a new covenant based upon new promises and new wine and new outpouring and new joy. I will do that, but I'm not going to do that yet. And you're trying to get me to let out in the open through this water into wine thing. You're trying to get me to state what I'm here for, but I'm not ready for everybody to know that. He wasn't talking about his ministry. He was talking about the new covenant that we're going to talk about in a second. But his mom, I love his mom. Mom, key player in the story. Mary is a key player. She's impertinent. She's impertinent. She wants something out of Jesus, and she says, do it anyway. And and I like this because I believe the Bible rewards people that approach God in prayer like that. I think we've lost something in our culture. 
We've become so nice and passe. We're not really in relationship with God much anymore. We talk to him when we feel like it. Read a little bit of the Bible when it's on our phone or an app or we get a couple of seconds. But we don't really have a relationship with Jesus that is deep and passionate and driving so that sometimes when our world's going crazy, we can look up to heaven and say, I don't think you understand, Jesus. I don't think you understand. I want you to do something. And that's how Mary was talking to Jesus. Mary was talking to Jesus saying, I know you said, woman, what, is, what do you want me to do about it? But I'm telling you, do what he says, servants. I'm just bypassing him and I'm telling you, be obedient. Let's go. There's an impertinence that comes in prayer. Elijah was a man, the Bible says, just like us. He had passions like us. He had weaknesses, struggles, and issues like us. But yet he fervently prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't rain for three years because God wants people to talk him in to doing what he already wants to do. I don't think you, oh, wait, wait, wait. God's already determined he's going to establish a new covenant, and Jesus knows he's going to do it. And Mary's saying, come on, do this miracle. And Jesus is saying, my time's not yet. And then Jesus says, no, my time's not yet. Mary says, do it anyway, and he did it anyway. When was the last time you talked to God like that? You don't get it. I'm looking at faces that are just looking at me. You don't get it. God wants you to wrestle in prayer with him for things to change. Things will not change as long as you're a Sunday morning, hour a week Christian that does what you can to get by without walking into the power and the presence of God. And if I believe with all with my heart that if we as a church would wake up and get a little bit of Mary's attitude, that we're going to ask God to do what we know God wants to do already. And we're going to ask and ask and ask and ask until he does. Yesterday, there were people in the mall of Washington who were praying like that. Tomorrow, I'm spending a day of prayer and fasting with pastors from the Cleveland area. We're going to be praying like that. Last night, I came over here, and I, I just had to come in this room, and I had to pray like that and bow my knee and say, God, you've got to move. The cultural crisis we're in, the COVID crisis we're in, the, the anxiety crisis we're in, the racial crisis we're in, we have got to get back to pounding the gates of heaven, and God will receive our prayers and make a difference. God's got to move. It's about time that we quit playing this Christianity and actually enter into an impertinent kind of prayer. God wants to answer your prayers if you'll really pray them. But our problem is, now I lay me down to sleep, isn't cutting it. Bless this food, Lord, isn't cutting it. We need some prayer we need you to wake up as a follower of Christ and like Mary, not take no as an answer. Because I already believe the reason God put it on your heart not to take no for an answer is he wants to answer you. Trust me, he's God. He knows what you're going to think before you do it. And if you've got that burden in your heart that you see a need and you want to be a part of the answer, why don't you approach God before you approach Facebook? Preach it, pastor. Come on. Amen. All right. So Mary, Mary. So Jesus said to her, well, have you thought about this? Why, why would Mary talk to Jesus 
about this problem this way. She says, hey, they got no more wine. He's like, why are you bugging me, woman? <laughs> now think about this. Why was she bugging him? Did she expect him to do a miracle? Or, or by the way, Joseph was probably dead by this time. So who was the oldest male in her household? Jesus was. So who's the one responsible for the problem? Come on, anybody ever have a wife? My wife in the history of the world has never freaked out. It's never happened, not even once. Never, never, not even once. You know, somebody's coming over and something goes wrong. That never, never happened. I've never seen a freak out. Not, not in the history of the world. Because she's concerned about every detail. But then she starts it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm joking. I'm being, I'm being comical there because my wife has freaked out a lot. She ran time apart this past weekend. Let me tell you, we had some, we had some freak out moments. Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? So we had some freak out moments. How's this going to happen? And, and you know what I say as a guy, do you know what I say every time she starts one of the freak outs about things not being done? What do I say as a guy? How? What, what, how can I help? How can I fix it? Because I'm a guy. What do I do? I fix things. She feels things. I fix things. This is biblical right here, whether you like it or not. She feels things, I fix things. She like is, and I'm like, all right, what do you want me to do? Why do you think Mary responded this way? She didn't have a husband to yell at. She turns to her son, since her son is now the adult male of the household, responsible for the household, and she says, hey, Jesus, we got no wine. He's like, what do you want me to do? Now, what he said in the Greek is, uh, it's, a, it's an idiom. It's used all throughout the Greek New Testament. And it's, woman, what, what is this to you and to me? Is it like, is this going to cause a fight? What's it to you and me? D did you hear that? It's an idiom. You're yelling at me about something. What's this to you and me? Are we going to make something out of this? Come on. I went back to junior high real quick. We going to make something out of this, huh? No, <laughs> Sorry, sorry, bad. I've been gone for two weeks. I'm sorry. So anyway, he, he uses this idiom and he asks her, what are we going to do about it? And, and she says, do whatever he says. So what, is it, what does he think? You know, he's going to take some money from his checkbook and say, hey, servants, quickly go into town, buy some wine. Does she think she's going to perform, perform a miracle? She's not thinking that way. She's got a problem. She asked Jesus to fix it. Jesus is about fixing a problem. There's a problem. By the way, this is our prayer like I was talking about. We're all concerned with our problem, but I believe God wants to fix the problem. God not only wants to fix the problem, he wants to fix the problem. Some of you think it's a problem that you have with your checkbook, but what God wants to do is maybe fix your career. Some of you think maybe you've got a problem that you and your wife are fighting. Maybe he wants to do is fix your heart so that you have realistic expectations. Sorry. I didn't mean all that. God did, but I didn't. All right, so what Jesus responds, woman, what is this to me and to you? And then what happens is the servants, we look at the servants real quick, I'll cover more about them later. But the mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, do whatever he tells you. The, the servants are, the only one that knows everything that's happening in the entire story is the servants. But yet the servants have no responsibility for the outcome. You didn't get that. The servants have no responsibility for the outcome, only obedience to what they're told to do. Do you know what servants are? Servants are slaves. 
The word doulos is slave. And I know that's taken on a whole meaning through chattel slavery in America, and it's not meant to be racist. It's not meant to be those kind of things, the use of slavery here. What this is to say is these are people that were, they were owned by the owner for the purpose of doing what the owner told them to do. Now, you may push against this, but many of us are owned by our owners. No, no, come on, come on. How many of you have a job? Wave at me if you got a job. Can you just not show up tomorrow because you don't feel like it? Can you come in 20 minutes late because you just don't want to? What happens if you do that? Will you have a job long? No, you are bought. You are bought. Let's not, let's not diminish the fact that there is, there is a purchasing of your skills in the culture we're in. That's what's going on here. There was a purchasing of their services. And, and that's what's going on. So these slaves were people who were purchased. They were owned. But the wonderful thing about the slave is the slave gets to know everything that's going on, gets to see the miracle firsthand, but has no responsibility for the outcome and still gets to celebrate in the party. <laughs> and then there's the steward. The steward is the guy, he's the archaeonos, he's the guy of the house who's in charge of the house that day. He's the big dude, all right? He's the guy that's in charge of the wedding. Now, this guy didn't know they wouldn't have enough wine for their wedding. And then, when he does get wine, he starts griping about the type that it is. This is not the guy I want to hire to run my party. He's not going to be leading Harvest Palooza. Not happening. You know why? He doesn't know what's going on, and he's just a griper. Can you imagine this scenario? This dude is just a griper, and he has no idea what's going on, but he's in charge. Now, this is symbolism. There's a lot of symbolism here. The symbolism is this guy represents the spiritual leadership of the covenant of Israel. He represents the priesthood and those that were in charge of the spiritual leadership of the covenant of Israel. All right, and then there's the last group of people. There's the guests. The guests, by the way, they're just people that showed up. They're the ones that they go get their plate of food. They go sit down. They don't like something. They don't eat all of it. They go back and get a second plate of food, right? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever go to a buffet? I show up at a buffet. If I don't like it, you know what I do? I go get what I do like, right? So I'm a guest there, right? If I go, come to your house, I'm a guest, and you say, hey, you want some water? I'll be like, sure. You say, hey, you want some Diet Pepsi? I'll be like, no way. God doesn't even approve of Diet Pepsi. If you have Diet Coke, I'll drink that. All right, you got Diet Coke. Now, I talk that way as a guest. Yes, as a guest, I'm welcome. I'm a part of the party. I'm just invited to the party as a guest. And let me just say this. In, in, in this church, if you're a guest, welcome, welcome. Mess up the mess up the bathrooms. I don't care. You know, leave your pieces of paper on the floor. I don't care. If you're a guest, you know, and, and you don't carry your little cup out and put it in the garbage can, I don't care. That's fine. If you're a guest, we're here to serve you. You know, you don't have to participate. You don't have to give. You don't have to do anything. You're just a guest. Welcome, 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 welcome if you're a guest. But if you've been a guest for six months, pick your own paper up off the floor if you drop it. Take your cup to the garbage can. 
And if you see somebody else has picked that up, and if you're a guest and you've been a guest for six months, it's about time you go to Discover next week and you start learning the path you can enter into to quit being a guest and become a part of the family. Because we like you. If you've been here six months, you might as well enjoy it and step all the way in, right? Right? <laughs> all right. So those are the people there. Man, where does this time go? There's no way. I curse you clock in the name of Jesus. Stop. <laughs> All right, number two. Statement is, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. That's the statement that's made. Now, what this is about is this is a wedding and it is a celebration of a covenant. Now, those of you that do not understand, we have a covenant view of theology here at Harvest Ridge. Here in a couple weeks, Pastor Mike will be teaching through um, um, essentials class again. And um, we, Pastor Matt did it last time. We'll, we're, we want to teach this essentials class because it gives you some of the essential core beliefs of Harvest Ridge and how we believe about the scriptures and how we respond to them. And this is a great class for you. Go to Discover this week and find out when all this is happening. All right. All right. Next Sunday at 11 o'clock, Discover. All right. So you go through Discover, you go through Essentials, then you become a member after all that. All right. Everybody got that? Good. We're working on it. All right. Where was I? Covenant is one of the things we talk about in essentials class because we have a covenant theology. So if you go all the way back to Genesis, and there in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal, and he, when he killed an animal, he used the animal's skin to cover their nakedness, right? That is the establishment of the first covenant. Something died and blood was shed to cover a wrong. Everybody understand that? So Adam and Eve entered it at Noah when Noah and everybody died with Noah. What happened was Noah, there was an, he got out of the ark, he sacrificed an animal and blood was shed and God made a promise. And the promise was, I won't destroy the world with water again. So there was a promise and there's a covenant. Then, you know, to Abraham, he made these promises. I'm going to bless you. And he made these promises to Abraham and, uh, multiple times. And then he makes a covenant with the children of Israel and with all of humanity on Sinai. And this is the covenant of the law. And the promises, this is what happens. You kill an animal, you cut the animal in half, you make a promise and you say, if I don't keep the promise, may I be dead like the animal. Everybody following this. So there is a promise that if you don't keep your promise, you will die. So when they entered into the covenant of the law, every person said, we will obey the law. But yet nobody in this room has obeyed the law. So every person has to do what? Die. So God looks down from heaven and says, you know what? I'm tired of killing them. There's got to be a way for me to stop killing them and letting them live in my blessing. So he said, I know what I'll do. I will put an end to that covenant. So how is God able to put an end to that covenant? When God himself comes down as a human form and dies in his death, he nullifies, completes, and ends the covenant of the law so we don't have to live under that death sentence anymore. We can now step back into the promises of Eden and Noah and Abraham and live in those promises. Now this is good because this symbolism of a covenant is best illustrated according to the scriptures in the marriage relationship between a man and his wife. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect the husband. So what's going on here is the mystery is this relationship between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant. And I wish I had time to talk about it. I don't. But this covenant is a symbol of the covenant between God and us. So why was Jesus' first miracle at a wedding? Because it's talking about God's covenant relationship with us. And what's going on is how many stone water jars were there? Six. In the Bible, what does six represent? Man and humanity and flesh and sin. God's number is seven. Humanity's fall is six. So how many stone water jars for ceremonial washing were there? Six. So he's talking about the covenant of the law, which is still in effect at this moment, that people were supposed to obey and they couldn't obey. And he's saying there were six of your best attempts to man to wash themselves and cleanse themselves so they can be in right covenant with God. And he's saying these six stone jars are there and they're empty and there's no joy and there's no happiness in the covenant. The covenant is dry. It's dead. It's without joy. It's hopeless. We're washing ourselves and we're not getting clean. Our flesh is trying to get good and we're not good enough. Are y'all following me on this? So Jesus shows up at a wedding and says, it ain't my time to destroy that covenant until three years when I hang on the cross and then my time will be and you're wanting me to say I'm going to do it now. Are you following this? This is amazing. He shows up at a wedding and says, it ain't my time to do it, but take those stone jars and fill them up with some water because your cleansing is not going to happen through the water, but take it now to the master of the feast and let the priests and the Pharisees taste the water and they're going to find out there's wine that's here and it's going to be fulfilled in me. Woo! I am amazed. I'm just amazed. At this story, the water of the Jewish ritual purification turns into the wine of the new messianic revelation in Jesus. Jesus took their dull, dry, nasty party that they were trying to get clean, and he took it and filled it with new life and with new hope and with new joy and new purpose. And his disciples understood it, and they believed. I, I got to move. So a minister was stopped by the police. He was driving down the road, and a police officer stopped him. And the officer comes to the window and says, you've been drinking? He said, only water. And the police officer says, why do I smell alcohol then? The police officer said, well, praise Jesus, he did it again. <laughs> Sorry, had to throw a joke in there. So the, the third statement, uh, would you all give me five minutes? All right, good. I hope so. Do whatever he tells you. These words were spoken to the servants. God has not called us to be guests. 
He's called us to be servants. It's all right to start as a guest, but he eventually wants you to step into the role of servant. 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how you ought to regard us as servants or slaves of Christ. And 1 Peter 2.16, the statement is clear. You and I are called to live as slaves of Christ. Why? Because slaves are not responsible for the outcome, only their obedience. Slaves are not responsible for the outcome, only their obedience. Luke chapter 17, verse 10, so also you, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are only unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I was at a, was at a conference with Charles Stanley there. Charles Stanley's like 86 years old now. I think two weeks ago, he just retired from First Baptist Church in Atlanta it led the Southern Baptist Convention for years, pastored a great church for years, made a great impact on our world through his radio and television shows. Great man of God. He was frail and old, sitting on a chair, and his son was interviewing him. And as he was interviewing him, he, he kept saying, well, my, my purpose, he would say, is to simply obey God and let God handle the outcome. And he told story after story about how his calling in life was simply to obey what God says and let God handle the consequences. And a lot of us, we spend a lot of time worrying about the consequences that are not ours to worry about when we should be obeying what God has told us to do. There is an anxiety dilemma in our culture and people are going crazy through anxiety. And the reason you're filled with so much anxiety is you think you control the outcome. But if you're a slave of God and you will step into that place where you say, God, you are my father, I love you, every knee will bow before you and every tongue will confess, Jesus is the Lord and I am his slave. When you do that, he is responsible for every outcome in your life. You are not responsible anymore. And that anxiety can lift off of you because you trust him, not you. So servants, notice the servants. Can you imagine these servants? Do whatever he says. So they've already watched the steward, you know, the guy that's in charge, the head of the household, the head of the party. He doesn't know what's going on in his party. He's a, they already know he's got a bad attitude and he yells at everybody. And, and he, they know about this. And, and Jesus says, all right, fill up the stone water jars. So they fill up with 150 to 100, 180 gallons of wine. Now that's a party. <laughs> 180 gallons of wine. And, and oh, now water, 180 gallons of water. And they said, take some out and take it to the feast. Can you imagine the servant? One of them looks and says, who's going to do it? I'm not doing it. You do it. No, I'm not doing it. And the other one says, yeah, he, he's the youngest. Make him do it. So he gets a little ladle and he takes a dip. I'm supposed to give you this. <laughs> Come on, he knows it's water. <laughs> Can you imagine? And the, the head of the feast, you know, he's already a guy with a temper and a yeller. He's going to say, who saved the best? Why did you save the best? Why are you being? That's the way he's going to respond. So we know what his personality is. And those servants like, here you go. And he tastes it. He's like, what? This is the good stuff. Why are you saving the good stuff? You slaves, you don't even know what you're doing. And they just did what they were told. Can you imagine them sort of giggling about this? 
come on, can you imagine being a slave in this situation and knowing that it's, Jesus told me to do it. <laughs> come on, any of you ever do that in life? You, the Holy Spirit talks to you and tells you to be nice to somebody or something and you don't want to do it and yet you do it anyway and when you do it, God breaks through. Because you see, God wants to give you life and hope and he wants to take your stress and place it on him. He said this, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The problem is you're trying to be the owner, and you need to be the slave. All right, last thing here. This story is about abundance. 180 gallons of wine is a lot of wine. But, you know, we'll talk about this next week. At the, the, you know, the five loaves and two fishes, they picked up 12 basketfuls. We'll talk about that next week. There's an abundance. How about this? The, in, the, in John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary took a pint of pure nard to anoint Jesus. $30,000 she broke and poured on him. Extravagance. How about this one? Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, 75 pounds of spices to wrap up Jesus' body. Extravagance. Everywhere in this, the covenant is established in the book of John. There is extravagance around it. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because God's covenant relationship with you is one of extravagant blessing. And most of us are not walking in and living in that extravagant blessing. Most of us are walking in fear and doubt and worry. And God wants you to step into his best. What happens when you step into his best? You throw a party. We got a video.